0: Open your Bibles, please, to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the first chapter, and then once you've found that, if you'll take your other hand and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read from those two chapters, Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy chapter 6, this morning as we continue our series on what every Christian should know. We began by talking about are you a Christian for certain? And then we talked about what every Christian should know about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about missions, about the church, about worship, about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, about grace, about the will of God, about temptation, and I think I left out one or two today. What every Christian should know about the family and then next Sunday will not surprise you what every Christian needs to know about Christmas. And so I anticipate seeing you again on the next Lord's Day. The future of the church in America, ours and the church universal in regard to our nation, is intertwined with the future Of the family. And that is why what we're going to talk about this morning is so very, very important. Now, one of the passages is lengthy, and that is one from Deuteronomy, but we're going to read the whole thing. So stand up with me and honor the reading of God's word. I just want to read two verses from Genesis 1, and they are verses 26 and 27. And uh, then we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read the first 25 verses, and I'll kind of walk you through that, okay? Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the children of Israel are on the edge of the Promised Land, and before they enter, God has some instructions that are very, very important for them. And it will not surprise you, even if you've not read it before, that it focuses on the family. Verse one of Deuteronomy six says, these are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me, that is Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates when the lord your god brings you into the land he swore to your fathers to abraham isaac and jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and His anger will burn against you and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah, that is, on their journey to the promised land. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight So that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said, In the future, when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if you are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. You may be seated. There are a lot of challenges facing the Christian family in 2018. The challenge of materialism, the challenge of technological distractions and addictions, and a return to pre- Christian paganism and if that sounds incredulous to your ears it should not because that is exactly the trend that we are seeing in our own nation today a return to pre-Christian paganism Jim Dennison wrote an article this week in which he said 50% Of the youth, that is the teenagers in the United States of America today claim no religious affiliation at all. Not Protestant, not Catholic, not Jewish, no religious affiliation at all. 50%. I want you to think about the implications of that for our future. It is stunning. However, what a great time to be alive. I hope you love being alive at this moment on the face of planet Earth. To be, as in my case, a husband, a father, a grandfather, and lest I make my sister mad when she listens to this sermon, a brother, and of course a pastor, And a person who loves you very, very much. What a time to be alive. So I want to leave these thoughts with you this morning about the two texts that we looked at. First of all, the Christian family lives out being in the image of God. The Christian family lives out being in God's image. And this is really to set up the Deuteronomy passage. The rest of what we'll say. So as we look back at the two verses in Genesis chapter 1, we read in that passage that man was created in the image of God. Only man was created in the image of God. And the text means that we are like God and represent God. The two Hebrew words for image... Is selim, it has a T in front of it that's silent, T-S-E-L-E-M, selim, that is image, and the word likeness, demut, D-E-M-U-T. It'd be like your neighbor who moved here from New Jersey and sees your dog in the front yard and says, look at demut. That's, that's the word, D-E-M-U-T both refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing it represents. So the text says, let us make man to be like us and to represent us. There's no need for more specificity because the rest of Scripture fills in all the details. The more fully that we know about God and man, the more we understand what the image of God means. It refers to every way in which man is like God. In the fall, in the original sin, God's image is distorted but not lost. Redemption in Christ is A progressive recovering of God's image. We call it sanctification. That is, we in the passing of time become more and more like Jesus. Paul put it this way in Romans 8:29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And sisters. So, redemption in Christ, a progressive recovering of the image of God, we call it sanctification, and at Christ's return, we will have the complete restoration of God's image in us. Now, there are four specific aspects of our likeness to God, and and each of these There are books written on them, so I'm only going to just name them. Four specific aspects of our likeness to God when the text says, let us create man in our own image. The first is the moral aspect. Man is a moral being. We are therefore morally accountable to God And there are standards, hear me well, because this is not what the world is saying. There are standards for our morality and the standards are found in the Word of God. So we are like God in that we are moral beings. The second aspect is that... Uh, uh, our spirituality we we are spiritual beings yes we are physical beings but we are immaterial spirit so we are spiritual beings so we are like god in the moral aspect we are like god in the spiritual aspect and thirdly we are like god in mental in the mental aspect in that we have the ability to reason and to think logically and that part of us is what sets us apart from the animal world we have the the mental aspect of god's image that makes us like god our likeness to god is illustrated by the use of complex abstract language our awareness of the of the distant future, and the entire spectrum of human creative ability, such as art and music and literature and science, and all of that makes us in the image, uh, is what we have in the image of God. So there is the moral aspect, the spiritual aspect, the mental aspect, but lastly, there's the relational aspect that we have by being created in the image of God. The interpersonal harmony of human marriage in the human family. We have a relationship with the rest of of creation. We have dignity as the bearers of God's image And the relational aspect of God's image shines brightest in family. And it is interesting that we have an earthly blood family, but God also talks about the church, the body of Christ, being a family. And so we see the aspects of our humanity that come to us because we are created in the image of God. So with all that in mind, then the second thing that I want us to see as we transfer our thoughts to the Deuteronomy passage is this. The Christian family loves God. What should every Christian know about family? The Christian family loves God found in verses one through five of the deuteronomy chapter six passage love in reality not in theory someone may say or ask me this morning pastor do you love god and i would respond sure i love god well that is theory the reality is action the reality is action and so for the husband and wife with or without children, for single parents, for singles anticipating marriage, or the formerly married, or grandparents, or sons and daughters, all of us who call ourselves Christians are responsible for loving God. And the Deuteronomic passage makes it clear. We are To love God. And we know that's more than a warm feeling. That is action. So there are three, at least three actions to loving God. And the first is to demonstrate awe and respect. We demonstrate awe and respect as we love God. We've done that this morning. I I trust we all did that from our hearts today. As we worship God, we have shown awe and respect of God. The second part of loving God that is definitive and tangible is to demonstrate obedience as a lifestyle. To demonstrate obedience as a lifestyle. If I say to God, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you, but I continuously live in disobedience, my words are hardly to be believed. Love is not just a sentiment or a warm feeling. It is action. Loving God means we demonstrate awe and respect. And loving God means we demonstrate obedience as a lifestyle. Does not mean we are perfect. I don't have to tell you that. We all know that about ourselves. We will never be perfect until we are in the presence of Jesus. But it does mean that as a lifestyle, we demonstrate obedience as a lifestyle to God. And then the third aspect of loving God is to demonstrate authenticity, not pretense. To demonstrate authenticity, not pretense. It's the real meal deal with you and with me. It's not pretense. It's not pretend. It's not sitting on a pew and pretending. It is reality in our lives. Now, verses 1 through 3 call for obedience and gives the benefits of that obedience. Verses 4 and 5 issue to God's people and to us a specific call to love God. And it is taught More than it is caught. I know of some things we say, well, it's more caught than it's taught, but of the love of God, it's more taught than it is caught. And we better remember that when it comes to our homes, it is more taught than it is caught. We live by biblical standards, not the standards of social media and not the standards, God help us, of Hollywood. And so we find in the text that the Christian family is to love God. The third thing this morning about what every Christian should know about family is this. The Christian family teaches and learns truth. The Christian family teaches and learns truth. And we see it clearly expressed for us in verses six, seven, eight, and nine. The Christian family teaches and learns truth. I learned to swim when I was very little. My dad was a good swimmer. He wanted me to be a good swimmer. And so he began to teach me to swim before I was two years of age. And we have some old, old film of of our, my growing up years, the family in those years. And, gr- you know, they're grainy and they're old. I'm old. They're old. Okay. And so I, I, one of those that I looked at showed showed my dad with me in his arms in the Atlantic Ocean where we'd gone to Daytona Beach and shows him pushing me in the water and helping me learn to swim. And, and, and one of them, he's swinging me around and he just lets me go out into the water. And I come up just, I just thought that was the most wonderful thing in the world. And, and so he taught me how to swim and to this day one of the thing one of the few things that i do well is to swim i'm a good swimmer so when my kids were born sharon and i wanted our children to learn how to swim we wanted them to be safe around water as safe as they could be i knew from my dad i knew that if my children were going to learn how to swim i had to teach them and so I began to teach our son to swim before he was one year old. And then I realized that it was, I was going to need some help. You know how kids are, they learn better, they might listen to somebody else. But I'm in charge, but I get, I get a teenage girl, lifeguard, you know, I hire her to give our son some lessons. Now, you have to oversee that carefully. One day, Sharon usually took Danny to swim. It was at a public pool. This young lady's awesome young lady, was doing a great job teaching. One day, I went. So I'm sitting by the pool, just enjoying myself. And she takes Danny out of the pool. Now, at this point, Danny is 17 months old. She walks with him holding his hand and they walk to the deep end of the pool and I thought oh well wonder what's going to happen here they go to the high dive the high dive I can hardly even get the words out of my mouth she places him on the bottom step and she puts her arms around him and they both begin to go up the stairs all the way to the top I don't like heights for 20 years I've been afraid I'm going to fall off right down here (laughs) Uh, up up they go to the top. Now I'm, I'm between having a heart attack and saying, come down now, but I didn't want to scare him because he's obviously having a good time. So they walk out the diving board and I thought, well, how's this going to work? And then she says something to him and she turns around and she goes down the stairs. And dives into the water. My 17-month-old son is standing by himself on the high dive over the water. And I'm not sure that I'm going to survive the experience. So she gets at the bottom and she says, you know, she's trading water. And she says, okay, come to the end of the board. And she says, jump. Jump without hesitation he jumps lands just shy of her and she wraps him up in her arms and I hear him clearly when his little head comes up he, he says let's do it again <laughs> and they did that's where half of my hair that I lost it, it happened that day it happened that day you have to oversee the experience of educating your children. But understand that in the Christian family, we teach and learn truth. Now, it's great to link arms with the church. And I love the fact that we have such incredible children's and youth ministries where we can link arms as families with our with our youth work and with our children's work. But understand there is no replacement for the home. There's no replacement for the home. So make your home a classroom for the truth. Make sure the Bible is taught, prayer is practiced, and coming to church is a habit. Now, math and language arts and science and history are very, very important. They were in our home. They are in my grandkids' homes. They were in your home. They are in your home, I'm sure. But please Understand of even greater value is that which saves the souls of your children and grandchildren. The verse, the word in verse seven that says impress upon your children is an aggressive Hebrew word. So in other words, when God gave the word to Moses and he passed it on to the people, he wasn't messing around. He was using an aggressive word and he says impress the truth on the hearts of your children. In every way, in every day, make it part of the natural conversation where you are able to say to your children, see what God has done. Now, the fourth thing, as we hasten toward a close, the Christian family is grateful. Verses 10 through 19. The Christian family is grateful for Israel. God said, thank me. Moses said, thank God, And then he gives illustrations of what they should be thankful for throughout the verses. Houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, all those things that are going to come, wells you didn't dig. God said, don't forget me. We teach our children gratitude. And we model thankfulness. Now, you know, as well as I do, that children are born selfish and self-centered. I mean, I don't care how cute your baby is. He or she is born selfish and self-centered. That's just the way babies are. And he or she will stay that way unless you teach and model gratitude, which I know you do. Gratitude for the cross, the resurrection, the Bible, the church, our country, our families. Gratitude. Now that brings us to the last thing. The Christian family remembers, verses 20 through 25. The Christian family remembers. We remember and we talk about what we remember. We remember salvation, we remember blessings, we remember births, we remember marriages, we remember deaths and how God was with us, we remember victories, we remember trials. All those things we remember. And we don't keep it all up here But we share it We share it You know I used to be of the opinion You know I'm a grandfather Seven times over And I used to be of the opinion Before I became a grandfather That you know your grandkids really aren't all that interested in What grandma and grandpa did Back years ago Well was I ever wrong Now that They may pass from that phase. I understand that. But I have discovered they are fascinated by what happened in the old days. (laughs) They're fascinated with the thought of a rotary phone. You know, they're fascinated with all of those things. And they love to hear the stories that you have to share. Stories about God and His grace and His goodness. And so as parents or grandparents, whatever the case may be, we remember and we talk about it. Why are we Christians? Why do we believe what we believe? Why is this book so important? Why did Jesus die? Did he really arise from the dead? Is he really going to come again we remember we talk about it we obey and then we remember the last verse of that sixth chapter and if we are careful to obey all this law before the lord our god as he has commanded us that will be our righteousness and for us this side of the cross our righteousness is found in jesus christ our savior and lord Let's bow together for prayer. In a moment, we're going to stand and Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of our hymn of invitation. A hymn that we sing, an invitation that we offer each week because we believe in our hearts there are some in the room who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And today, you are sensing the tug of the Holy Spirit ...on your heart. And so in a moment when we stand and sing... ...will you come, will you respond, will you leave your seat... ...come and place your hand in mine and say very simply... ...Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you... ...to open God's Word and share with you... ...and I can't think of a better time of the year... ...to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord than the Christmas season. So in a moment when we stand and sing... ...will you come and then for all of us who already know Jesus... Listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning in regard to your family. And whatever it is that he says, then act in obedience. And Father, we are grateful, grateful, thankful, thankful people. I pray that as believers, we would be certain that our homes are places where jesus is proclaimed and taught and the grace and the mercy of the lord are remembered and i pray now this morning that you would draw someone to yourself that a man woman boy or girl might come to know jesus today in the savior's name i pray amen god speaks to your heart you come as we stand and sing